I'm Alana, and my pronouns are they and she. And I'm Jessie, my pronouns are she, her. And, and we're making messages. <laughs> That's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you. Making Benches is an organization providing radical Jewish education. And this is the artist series where we're showcasing queer Jewish anti-Zionist artists. And today we're talking to Daniel Kushner. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We want to give you time to introduce yourself. If I said your name wrong, please correct me now. Pronouns astrological sign if you're into that because we are and then jump in with what kind of art you make sure i'm daniel daniel kushner i use he they pronouns i am based out of new york city and i am an actor writer singer performer person queer as well and yeah i do a whole bunch of different stuff i primarily do stage acting I was just on the national tour of Fiddler on the Roof for about a year and a half, Ooh. where I played Matu Kamso. Oh yeah, thank you. And I was on an episode of Law & Order a couple weeks ago, which was really cool. So hopefully branching into TV and I'm writing as well. I had an article published in New Voices, which is a publication for young Jews. So I am I'm active. I'm getting the career ball rolling and making art where I can, yeah. I love it. Thanks for sharing all of that with us. We're so excited that you're here. And yep. if you have not read Daniel's article on New Voices, we're obviously going to talk about it today because how could we not? But y'all should check it out. It is written beautifully, but beyond that, it's just full of really good insights. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was really fun to write. And after I got, I finished with Fiddler, I was like really trying to figure out like how to process the experience and how to move on from it, but also recognize the impact it had on my life because you know I was doing it for a year and a half and yeah I just I wanted to write and I found that new voices was looking for people they were looking for submissions and so I sent in and yeah it was really healing actually and thank you for reading I really appreciate that and we jump right in with a huge question but answer it however <laughs> feels most authentic sure. to you and maybe this is relevant to Fiddler and maybe it's not how does Judaism show up in your life now if at all yeah, that is a big question. You're right. <laughs> it shows up in a lot of different ways. I'm not like super practicing. So in terms of the religious side of it, I'm not really super connected anymore. I used to go to temple and synagogue all the time and it was bar mitzvah and I, you're both nodding. You're like, oh, yeah, you're okay. <laughs> Taylor's all this time. <laughs> right, we've all been there. And you know, I fell out of it in college. A lot of it actually having to do with feelings of and being an outsider because of holding anti-Zionist, anti-imperialist sort of opinions. And I began to fell out of touch with Judaism as a whole. And then I was cast in Fiddler, which was a fun surprise because I am Jewish. And so I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Doing a, not just doing a show, doing a tour, things that were really big dreams of mine for a while, but also doing a Jewish show. And that process and being reacquainted with Judaism in that way and the history of it was really wonderful and has left me lingering and holding on to the beautiful cultural stuff all of that the good stuff the holidays the food the people that is now how i am finding myself connecting to judaism and so i'm still in the process of finding my place in the greater community which is why 
I love your page and all what you guys are doing, which is like fostering a more inclusive or pushing for more inclusivity. So yeah, I'm still navigating, but that's my answer, I guess. I love that answer too, because I, I feel that is an entry point for a lot of people either back into the Jewish community or for the first time into the Jewish community is through the culture and the media. And it's so cool that you are on like both sides of that, benefiting from being in it, but also for creating it for the world and potentially giving more people that experience in that entryway. And that's all I was thinking about that. Yeah, it was really a gift actually to do Fiddler and to share Judaism and that side of myself with the general public. It's not something I knew how to do before and I had the ability to do just in my own art practice and my own personal way of navigating the world. But being in Fiddler was this really easy opportunity for me to share my love for Judaism and my love for our history. And I think that's, I talk about this a lot in the article, but my big connection is to our history and the storied history, how rich it is and beautiful and things that have led us to having all the beautiful food and the holidays and the stuff that I love. So yeah, it was really special to be given the opportunity with a lot of other Jewish actors as well and telling that story, which is so iconic. So it was really special. Doesn't happen. No, I love that entry point of art as connectivity to Judaism. You're right. I think it is harder for, at least I feel it's harder to find Jewish stories depicted in art, especially on the stage or on the screen. I feel like there's so few examples that I can think of besides the most stereotypical ones like Fiddler. And then I'm thinking of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the (laughs) only other thing that comes to mind. So if anyone has good recommendations, let me know because I won't be watching Jewish Matchmaker. You say you won't. I won't. (laughs) See, okay, I'm really glad you shared that because something about that to me feels off and I haven't watched it. But something about it just feels icky. Yeah, Um, it's giving huge Israeli propaganda. And again, I also haven't watched it, but I got that vibe and I was like, it won't be for me. From the trailer, there was just one guy who was Israeli. They were talking about going to, yeah, it was was very that. But I do have a recommendation and it is so queer. Ooh, love. There is a movie, you both leaned in. (laughs) There is a movie (laughs) called Yentl. Yentl. Oh. Have you seen this? That's, yes, yes. Is that the Um, one with? Barbara. Barbara Streisand? Okay, Barbara yes. Streisand, Mandy Patinkin, who was like yeah. naked for a good minute and a half. So <laughs> it's worth that watch. But yeah, it's this woman and she's going to school to study being yeshiva and she has to dress as a boy and all that stuff. So like that Mulan. Yeah, yes. it's, uh, it's a good movie. So you've seen it. But anyone listening, that's my right. You're actually right. It is literally the Jewish version of Mulan. <laughs> yeah. And we're not talking about this I'm enough. Not, and it came first so it really is Mulan, <laughs> Mulan. is the Chinese version of Yenzo yeah <laughs> this is what we need to be really talking about on this page. hello this is the important news broadcast it to the people <laughs> that is so funny yeah there are definitely some movies now that they're like coming back to me I'm like what's the movie that we watched for that movie thing that I hosted for our temple sisterhood oh Shiva baby oh yes I've heard of this one too that I, my friends were just telling me about it it is a good movie <laughs> <laughs> but also pause. the person who plays the main character is not a Jewish actor. Anyway, that could be a whole other conversation because she's very, she's cast in a lot of, I think, roles that are supposed to be read as Jewish because she looks Jewish, which means she looks like an Ashkenazi Jew, but she's not Jewish. Anyway. <laughs> I have many things to say about that, but isn't it, isn't the, the girl from Glee in it who is Jewish? Diana Agron? Yes. Which is oh, so ironic. Yes. Yeah, because she played the, the boy character in Glee and Leah Michelle, 
who was famously not Jewish, played <laughs> Rachel. Exactly. I mean, and you talk about Maisel, talk about non-Jews playing Jews, Tony Shalhoub and Rachel mm -hmm. Rothman. There's something, I actually struggled a lot with that on tour because I was mm -hmm. with a lot of non-Jews. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah, like there was probably, it was a cast of 33 and there was usually 10 to 12 Jews in the cast. So, you know, more than you meet on the street, but certainly less than you'd want. And there was a lot of mm. negotiating that, where it's like, no, this is our story and we're here to tell it and we want to share it with you, meaning like the other actors, but it's also, you're in our story. So you got to place yourself here. So uh, navigating a lot of those questions, even on tour. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like I have questions about how that, that functions. I'm just thinking I would have assumed that the entire touring cast would have been Jewish, but then I guess I would have assumed that would be the case for anyone portraying a Jewish and this you goes hope. for a variety yeah of ethnicities that just is the reality but and it's hard because it's one of those things where it's hard to tell if an actor is Jewish just off of the audition and it's actually wild because I never went in person to audition I auditioned for my basement because it was during COVID time so they never met me they just had my last name and I guess that was enough. I'd like to think that part of the reason I was cast is because I'm Jewish but again it's not on my resume it's not on... mm -hmm. so it's hard to know and something, it's not as visible as, say, races sometimes, but regardless, so there were a lot of non-Jews in the cast, which was fine. The problem was that at certain points, I found some of the other, some of the people were finding it difficult to, to treat the story with the respect that it deserved, and certainly mm. specific parts of the story, like there is a pogrom in the musical, which is really serious, and obviously really storied and historied and something that we all learn about and we know about but uh, when you do it every night 200 times it's you lose like that really powerful and so people would be joking about it or people would make light about even the violence in the show and i had to be like hey let's stop doing that and i was always that guy and i hate myself for it but i was like hey we really shouldn't be doing this and people listened and it was a lot of it was a learning moment so that was great and people were much more respectful but there was definitely a dissonant. It's where like the Jews in the cast were joking, we're making comments about our noses or think self-deprecating common things and then people would overhear it and because they're in a Jewish show they feel comfortable to then tack on in a way they wouldn't in any other circumstance. So it was a really mm -hmm. it was a really weird environment for that reason but again it ended up people were wanting to be respectful and wanting to learn so that was great. Taking us on a, a little detour here, just because of the Tonys and what time of year it is, Leopoldstadt and Parade also just won huge. And there was this thing piece that Michaela Diamond wrote for the New York Times about the trauma of watching the Leo Frank lynching night after night and performance and mm -hmm. talking about how some of the Jewish actors would gather to say Kaddish before the show, wow. every show. And yeah, just it's bringing up all these thoughts, talking about being a Jewish actor, like portraying Jewish trauma for audiences. And I just went to see Parade again because <laughs> great show. But um, it's amazing. And I was listening to different parts where people were clapping or cheering for these non-Jewish roles and I was like what are they cheering anyway and I just had questions about who is this for and who is this show showing Jewish trauma to and what is it saying about that and I feel like that's really relevant to what you're saying about pogroms and having to act it as a Jewish person versus who are you doing it for so I don't know yeah. if that's a, a formal question no I, I have thoughts off of it which is that two things one is that it is really hard to to play the trauma night after night and luckily for me I was it is a musical 
comedy and my role in particular was a more lighthearted role. So I didn't have to really live in the trauma. Like most of it happened when I was not on stage. But it, it is really difficult, especially when there's stuff going on outside the play bubble. Because on stage, it's our little fiddler bubble and it's three hours and it's timed perfectly and we have the lines and whatever. But then the world starts to bleed in. And I remember this year on tour, there was that shooting in Colorado Springs at that, that gay bar. And that was the hardest day I've ever had to do a show on because it was a two-show day. So I had a matinee and an evening show. And it's a hard show and it's an emotional show. But like I said, you do it 200 times, you forget about it until there's something that reminds you how unsafe you are or how, how the themes of exclusion of, of being an outsider are still relevant today. And that made doing the show very difficult. It was one of the hardest days I've ever had because it was just like so emotional. So yes, that trauma is real. And then who are you doing it for, which is the second part. That's tricky because the wonderful thing about Fiddler and I had this experience a lot where people would come up to me and express how they learned something or they had a different experience. And especially on tour where we're going to who knows where Montana, where there's no Jews mm. for miles and miles. Like it is, we did actually potentially open people's minds to, oh, these are people too. These, they have different experiences. So it's difficult because it is like putting the burden on us, especially the Jewish actors in the cast who relate to the story in a more personal way. But there there is a positive to it, which is that people do, especially on a touring show, in a show like Parade, which is so educational and enriched, people do learn. So it's worth it to some people. <laughs> I feel like that leads us to another question that we had for you pretty well. So I'm going to skip our question order around a little awesome. bit. And you also talk about this in your article in New Voices, which is just you're bringing information, you're bringing a lens that people might not have had access to before and starting a dialogue. And I think you touched on that in a different way in the article. You said, even as the endless violence in Israel brought on feelings of shame, Fiddler brought on feelings of pride, pride in our culture, pride in our values, pride in our history. So we're curious, how do you feel that art could start a dialogue between different communities and people with different values and views? That's a good question. I'm acting like I did the question <laughs> beforehand too. Whoa. <laughs> but yes, it can start a dialogue. I think it's really, it's difficult when it's me on stage because in that form of act, in acting in general, like a stage or film, there is a level of, of removal between me and the audience and how they're experiencing it and regardless of what I want them to think or what I want them to feel they're going to feel what they want to feel they're going to think what they want to think and that's a beautiful thing and it's a dangerous thing because people can walk away with the wrong ideas so that's why direction and motivation as an actor is so important I find that the way that I have the most dialogue with people is with my writing which I don't do a, a ton this is the article in New Voices is really the first thing I've officially published but I informally am writing on my social media all the time, especially on Instagram, on my stories. And I don't think I'd consider that my art. I hope it's not. I'm a writer. And so anytime I put words to page, I guess it, it is part of my art. So I do find that when I'm posting and when I'm engaging with people, there is that ability for us to communicate with each other. And I've found that I've actually been able to have a lot of really nice breakthroughs with people because they were able to talk to me through art. It's, it's difficult because again, like on stage, I don't get to, I don't get to see that. 
I know it's happening because I said people did come up to me and said after the fact. But yeah, it's it, there's that level of distance that makes it difficult to know. First of all, also Mazel Tov, Yasha Kof, and your first published piece. I did not know that. <laughs> Thank amazing. you. I appreciate that. And and I. I really appreciate what you're saying about this transformative experience that people can have through participating in and viewing art. And it leads us to our next question about the idea of art as resistance. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether you are making art as a form of resistance, how you view art as a form of resistance, or some art that you either consume or participate in that is an example of art as resistance. Yeah, firstly, I think art is probably the not the best way but it is a really powerful way to resist and i definitely see my artistic practice as a form of resistance even if the words on the page with fiddle on the roof are set how they are and i can't change them me going into the space as a queer anti-zionist thinker person like i am shaking things up and i do get people thinking differently and i won't shut up so we're talking and i'm definitely like leading people and having this conversation so even behind the scenes like the art can be a tool to teach people to be resistance. And with this article I wrote, it's interesting. I definitely think it is resisting, resisting a system, resisting structures in the Jewish community that I feel like have held me back and hold a lot of people back and limit us. But I wrote it more in this sort of self-reflection slash like education point, because I feel like, like my target audience was Jewish people because it's a Jewish publication and young people. And I really wanted to get people to empathize with not only my experience, but I guess like the experience of Palestinians, which I feel like people struggle to do, especially Jews struggle to do if it's not coming from a Jew, which is a problem. But I wanted to capitalize on that and say, if I can write from this empathetic first person perspective about this Jewish show that people are really comfortable with and using that as the rock, and then pushing outwards to and talking about Palestine and talking about things that are not inherently tied to Fiddler, but aren't tied to my experience of it. And I guess in a way that is resistance. You can make the argument. I definitely think it's resistance. I'm curious if you received any backlash after the article. Um, surprisingly, not much. I was expecting it because I, I posted it on Facebook, which is like my where like I'm with all my old camp friends and my old Hebrew school friends and my mom's friends. So that's where like the problems are. On Instagram, I got one comment on something basically saying that I was being really dismissive of Jewish people's interest in having a homeland and that like I was too reductive in, in me saying that the homeland shouldn't exist if it's going to be against people or it shouldn't exist probably period, but whatever. Someone thought that was very reductive and I disagreed and I expressed a love and desire for a homeland or for Israel or for whatever. It's Zion as it is in the Bible is valid, but obviously doing that at the expense of other people aren't. I did receive some backlash, but what I see much more of actually was positive comments from a couple from people who, there was this girl from high school who I have not spoken to probably even when we were in high school, but she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I, I read this and this is exactly my experience. And I feel like I'm mm -hmm. struggling with this because I don't support Israel, but everyone else does. And you gave voice to that. And that was so amazing to hear. And a couple of people reached out with similar sentiments and it made me realize just how little we're talking about this because there's so many people who feel like they're alone for harboring 
anti-Zionist, anti-imperialist, pro-Palestinian feelings. And there's a big community of us. And that's partly also why I wanted to write is to be like, hey, I'm willing to talk about this. I'm willing to put myself out there because it is, it does feel like a little bit vulnerable in an odd way to be a publicly Jewish anti-Zionist. I'm sure you guys have your own experience of this, but definitely there is a backlash that's expected. And I've received a lot of backlash over the years, but I've blocked a lot of those people. <laughs> so they, they don't see my stuff anymore. So that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, the block button is my favorite feature. Jesse's always like, should we leave this up or should we engage in it? And I'm like, honestly, I don't care. I'm blocking and deleting. Like, that's not what we're here for. So I, yes. And it's so hard because I don't operate from the perspective that Zionists can't or shouldn't be spoken to or have dialogue with. I feel like some anti-Zionists hold that opinion and I think that's really valid, but I come from a different school mm -hmm. because I, I was at one point, I guess, a Zionist. Like I grew up in the world of it. And then I went to college and it was because I had friends who were willing to talk to me about it. And then I went off and I did my own education and I studied history and I did my own due diligence. But if it wasn't for those initial few people who were challenging me, I probably would not have opened my opened my mind to them because why would I? Like, it was super comfortable being a Zionist. Everyone around me was a Zionist and it, I could have kept on. So I definitely think that, I think engaging with people is really important. However, I think you both know there's a certain point where it's like, oh, you're just a bigot. Oh, this is not a conversation. Like, you are just a bigot and there's no point in talking. So, you know, I try giving people the respect and I'm, I'm overly willing to talk to people about it and debate about it because I feel really passionately about my feelings on Israel and Palestine and I want to express it. And I want to open people's perspectives and minds, but there, there is a lot of negativity and anger. I get a lot of anger for feeling how I feel. Yeah, 100%. I think that's such a good point. Like, I do think that the room for conversation is really important and that's something that shows up, honestly, in a lot of radical or leftist spaces like the idea of cancel culture really permeates in a way that I don't personally agree with and I think really is so in opposition to so many leftist values surrounding like accountability and community care and support we're not going to get anywhere if we're not talking to each other about like where we've gone wrong or like why our values may not be aligning with what we, they think we're aligning with. So I do think that's an important point. I think that's what we're talking about is like art in whatever form it takes is starting conversations, whether they're good or bad or whether they end the way we want them to or not. Yeah, it's a gateway. And I've had a lot of really nice conversations with people where they have gotten to a, a different place than where we started, which then feels like really worth it to me. If one person read the article I wrote and truly felt, oh, wow, this is this opened my mind a little bit, like, that is plenty because it's, I feel like we're at this really important stage in anti-Zionist thought. We're trying to get the ball rolling for a while now, and it's just starting to roll in terms of, like, politics and in terms of public awareness and all these really great things that I feel like wasn't happening so much even 10 years ago. So the ball is rolling now, and then my job is just to, like, anyone I can get to push it with me I will talk to you and I will engage and so yeah that's my own personal like activism ethos as an artist but I know other people feel differently and that's also fair but yeah as an artist like my goal is to create art that people 
want to engage with or are challenged to engage with. And so, yeah, my, my goal is to get people to see and to engage. Yeah. For sure. Okay, love the getting people to see because I'm also, I'm doing some prep for next month, which is the month of Tammuz and the whole idea behind the month of Tammuz in the Hebrew calendar is the idea of sight and not like physical sight but like opening people's eyes to something or opening our own eyes to something that remains unseen that idea just feels timely absolutely that's cool and i did not know that so <laughs> i am being educated today the more you know <laughs> that's what we're here for <laughs> exactly in the vein of leftist politic in general i'm also curious what the relationship between maybe art in general but more specifically your art and capitalism is yeah, that's a hefty one because it's as a theater artist, as an artist, period, but especially as a theater artist, my work is predominantly existing under capitalism, or at least the successful, quote unquote, for those who are listening, successful work. Uh, and that was the one thing I really did not like about tour and about specifically like the specific company I was working for and all that stuff was it was very capitalist driven in a way that really disrespected the artist. And I feel like that happens a lot and it sucks. It's like, unless I'm going and making theater with my friends, which I love to do, that I want to continue to do, it's not, the power's not mine. And I'm existing under sort of preordained structures and the entertainment industry and theaters and all that stuff, which is why I have been writing a lot more. And while I was on tour, Actually, my own personal writing practice was like super, super important to me because it was my creative outlet. Like I was doing a show and I was performing every day and it was wonderful and awesome, but it was to a certain degree, someone else's art. Like I was being a part of their thing. So it was really nice for me to continuously write and create on my own. And that has been a way for me to separate myself a little bit from capitalism. Of course, like I have dreams of writing for profit and making money and supporting myself as an artist, which is the goal and shouldn't be the dream, but it's a far-fetched dream. It's difficult because I have all these different art practices and things that I do that sometimes are for profit and sometimes are not. And it's always separating that. What, what is for me and what do I have to do to survive? It's tricky, especially as an actor. I'm thinking so much about what you're saying about performing someone else's stories or someone else's words, but bringing your own identity into that and really thinking about this connection we have as Jews to Jews of the past or to, to the Jews who might have been overlooked in narratives of the past or just the people in our spaces that have historically been marginalized in our culture. And, and I'm just wondering your thoughts, this is 17 questions in one, but <laughs> how identity but also how identity shapes art even when you are not in control of the words that you are putting out or you're performing someone else's story is there space for your identity to come through yes and short shorthand yeah the truth is that every role i do every word i write whatever the artistic practice is it's an expression of me and so when i'm acting even if i'm saying someone else's words my, my take on it is going to be different in every way to anyone else's. And so there is something really unique to me and what I bring to it. And 
that's why you're not trying to be a character. You're trying to bring yourself to the character, which is like a slightly different framing, but it's a way for my identity to shine through in the role. And it's difficult because when you're playing a role, you're not playing you. So there are a lot of things that aren't what I would do or aren't how I would say it or how I would navigate the situation. But there is so much that goes into a performance in a musical, so much more than ever is legible from the audience's side, but so much that I'm thinking about just in terms of what does my character feel here? What are they, what do they want? What are their dreams? And those are all from me. Like those are all my ideas because it's my character and whatever's on the page is my space to put in. So it definitely is a way to, to infuse your art with your identity, even if it's not your own. It is difficult because again, it's like how much of that is legible as me and how much of that is, are you just going to read as Mottel, the, the tailor? But certainly it's a fun practice to to bring yourself to the art. It's it's what makes acting really fun because it's like, I'm being a different person, but I'm trying to do it as myself with all the experiences that I have. I don't know if that answered the question, but that's my response. <laughs> yeah, that definitely answers the question. And it's really cool to hear more about your process and how you show up in your art career. I could go on. I could go on. I don't know if that's interesting, but I could be specific. Um, but yeah, it's it's all of it. It's like in every word I write is an expression of self. And I'm, I am an aspiring novelist as well. And I'm writing mm. something right now. Oh, yes. It's Ooh, very fun. Um, it does talk about Jewish things. Look at that. Staying on brand. But the point of that was that it's so interesting writing a story and coming up with a novel and something that's so big. And it's like I'm writing these different characters and I'm writing things that are not me. But... I find that what makes my writing really successful and what makes me connect to it is like when I'm drawing from something specific in my life, like this is how I navigate the situation. This is how my friend navigates a situation that I know intimately and personally. So even if I'm creating something outside of myself, there's always that I'm, myself is reflected in it. And I just, the hope is that people see that and they, they see myself reflected in my art, but I can't control that part. But yeah, I think about it all the time. That's really fascinating. Just an aside, very excited at the prospect of a novel. Your writing is so beautiful. Like, just reading your article, I was like, they know how to write. Oh, That's really, oh. yeah, it's really good. I'm focusing right now, I'm writing a little uh, something about Hadrian and Antinous, who Hadrian was a Roman emperor and Antinous was his lover who became a god. But it's so interesting because Hadrian, who is this gay emperor, who was like, yes, fierce, God slay, um, also killed half million Jews in Israel and was the person who made it so that the Jews could not live in Jerusalem anymore. It was this guy. So I'm writing this mm. a lot, but I'm always thinking about that. And it, which I bring that up because I'm fascinated by it, but it's also really interesting because it's this story about Jews being kicked out of Israel and talking about my identity and my art, like something I'm really interested in when I'm, when I write more about it is how do I tell the story of Jews getting kicked out of Israel? in an anti-Zionist way. How do I tell the story of, and the, the truth is it's under the umbrella of imperialism and all imperialism is bad. So there's a connection, boom, it's done easy. But I'm thinking <laughs> about that a lot. It's like, how do I tell a story that certain Zionist Jews might read and be like, oh, the Jews were picked out of Israel, they should go back. Like, how do I not let that be the takeaway? So it's something I think about all, literally all the time because I'm consumed by it. That's surreal because I feel like that is the narrative that automatically gets read on any of those discussions about the biblical history or the ancient history of Jews. And then if they were kicked out, then they must be native to that place. And it's okay. We're missing so the point. Yeah. Right. We're missing the point. Um, oh. <laughs>
it's hard. Yeah. It's difficult, but um, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I am new to the anti-Zionist space. I was a Zionist in high school, which is long ago now, but not too long ago. So I'm still learning as well. And I think that's important for me to mention, but yeah, I'm always thinking about how do I lead with the knowledge I do have to try to share that with people. I feel like we're all, at least in this space, reformed Zionists, so we can definitely relate to that <laughs> sentiment, continually learning and growing and being like, okay, this is what I... Also just grappling with the reality that like that was a way that I used to think, and I think having sympathy for that version of myself and letting that apply to other people who are in that position now, because I oftentimes find myself getting frustrated and you know you're my age you're a white Jewish American so you have access and the privilege to be able to understand this so why don't you and I find myself getting in that line of thought a lot and I do think it's helpful to pause and be like okay it wouldn't have been helpful to me if the people that taught me didn't have any grace for where I was at and I love that you talked about having sympathy for yourself because it's true. It's it's embarrassing. It's off. It's like I used to believe that. Like I used to say that. Like I think I, my first week of college, I had this argument with this kid, and I was arguing that I know, and it's so embarrassing. I was arguing the Zionist terrorists, blah blah blah, talk points side, and they were not. And I think about that all the time. And I'm like, God, he must think I'm a dick. Like, still, <laughs> eight years later, he must be like, Wow, Daniel was really problematic back then, which he's not. And which is why I, as an artist, I want to make art that challenges Zionists, but that sort of meets them halfway. And that was really my goal with the article I wrote, which was that I don't want to placate the people who don't believe me, but I also want them to read to the end. And I want them to think about this. And there is a specific way of doing that. And I hope I succeeded. But regardless, with my art, I want to engage with those people. Like I find that the what I feel most passionate about is engaging with current Zionist, hopeful reform Zionists, to get them to see where we're coming from. And because I hate how much division there is in the Jewish community over it, and it's necessary. I don't think Zionism is okay. And I don't think that people who don't challenge themselves and learn and educate themselves, I don't think that's okay. But also, as you keep saying, I was that person. So it's very important for me as an artist to challenge them, but also make art that informs, which is back to what we're talking about with artist resistance. But yeah, I feel sympathy for them too. And I'm like, you should be embarrassed for yourself. I'll teach you, but you should be embarrassed. Sorry. No, literally, literally. <laughs> it's hard. It's, I want to engage with you and I want to treat you seriously. But if you're 25 and you still don't see why what Israel's doing is wrong, I'm like, how do you, how do I? Yeah, yeah. almost more so honestly than with elders and older people in the community, because at least I'm like, there at least I understand what you've been surrounded by and what you have access to and that. A lot of folks really don't have true internet literacy, but for people who are our age, like I'm 26, and like, you know how to use the internet, like (laughs) for the most part, for the most part, because let me not act like everyone has equal internet access, because that's real, but for the most part, you have the people that I'm talking about, I know you have access to the internet. I know you have access. They do, and it's, it's really hard, because I think what I felt in talking to people I'm sure you feel similarly, but what I feel like makes people unable to listen is the shame, is the guilt, is once you crack open, especially for an older person, or you've been feeling this way for 60 something years, if you 
start to crack open what they're thinking and what they're feeling and you start showing them what's actually happening in Israel, I find that people get very shaken because it was that say about me. Who am I if I've been supporting this? And so that's why I feel like a lot of people shut down and stamp down in bigotry. It's not just specific to anti-Zionism, but I find that a lot. So me as an artist creating art or trying to get people to listen, it's like, how do I get you to face the truth and not make you feel shameful, but make you rather feel inspired. It's a tricky line to walk because I say, I want you to feel shame a little bit, but I want you to listen. I just, I find that especially the older people, but even the younger people don't want to admit that they've been wrong for X amount of years. So they just will not. And I'm like, is how do we move forward in society if people aren't willing to admit their mistakes? And I think that's a general thing, but <laughs> yeah, like it's a big, big comment, but it's true. And you've done a lot of this work for people already, like shouting out again. Daniel's article can be found on New Voices and about the experience of being, actually, I was just going to ask real quick, did you pick the title for it? Or did the title? You like the, yeah. I did. It. The Fiddler and the Self-Hating Jew. Sorry, let me just throw it out there in case someone Thank doesn't you. have it open in front of them. It's a great one. Yeah. And, and please, for more information, everybody use your internet access to access it. And before we start wrapping up, Daniel, I just wanted to ask you, if you could leave our listeners with one message, what would it be? And it could be a five-part message, but one overall message. <laughs> I would say my overall message is to educate yourself. It's truly the most powerful thing that you can do, because once you have that education, you can feel confident to talk to people and to engage with people. And the goal doesn't have to be right. The goal doesn't have to be the smartest. But if you're educated, at least you're coming from a place of experience and knowledge. And then I would encourage you to use that education to talk to people and convince people. Because like I said earlier, I truly do believe that even just getting one person to change their mind about something is powerful because then they'll do the same and things will branch out. I truly believe that. So educate yourself. There's so many good resources and reach out to me if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know where to start. I will show you the way. I have some books. You can read my article, <laughs> but there are so many, there's so many ways to educate yourself. And I would use that. Talk to people. This truly has been such a great first episode. I cannot have imagined a better first episode. I'm so glad that you are our guest tonight. It was so incredible talking to you and hearing all your insights. I want to say thank you also for having me, but also, and I said this at the beginning, but it really is nice seeing other anti-Zionist pages, people on the internet. I think I... I expressed that someone said to me that they feel alone, but I also do feel alone in this sometimes. So it's really nice to see other people posting, other people doing it, and also that you found so many other cool queer artists that are also into Zionists. I can't wait to connect with all of them and follow them. So thank you for putting this all together. Oh, thanks. We appreciate it. It is super validating to have, I don't know. Yeah, it just is so validating to be like, there are literally so many people who are Jewish and anti-Zionist. And on top of all those queer, because like the whole point of the series yeah. also is to showcase specifically queer Jewish anti-Zionist artists. And I don't know, as a queer Jewish anti-Zionist, it's so special to be like, there's actually so many of us and yeah. we create this beautiful, incredible, awesome community. So it's cool to be able to give space for that too. Totally. I was telling my mom about this tonight. And I was like, so it's queer Jewish anti-Zionist artists. And she was like, well, that's, that's pretty niche. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is niche, but also you'd be surprised how many I know. <laughs> like there, there are a lot of us.
Literally, this is a three-month series. <laughs> With that in mind, we will be back next week for the next episode in our series with Mia Montalvo, who is a queer and Jewish multimedia artist who is based in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, so we hope you join to listen to Mia and all their incredible insights. Before we go, is there any work or art that you're working on that you want to highlight outside of, of course, your incredible Fiddler article? Yeah, you can find that at newvoices.org, but just follow me on Instagram at Daniel L. Kushner. Like I said, I post a lot and I say a lot of things. And if you might be interested in them, give me a follow and maybe I will say more. But yeah, I would just say follow me. That'd be great. Yes, please follow Daniel. And obviously, if you're listening to this on Spotify, if you go on our Instagram page, you'll be able to find Daniel's account. No problem. Thanks for being here today. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you, too. Nice to meet you. You're the best. to be in community with you moving forward. I would love that. Amazing. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.